All right, good morning again. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Psalm chapter 40. Psalm chapter 40. There we go. Before we get started, I would just like to tell my son happy birthday. Look at that. Isn't that, isn't that just cute? You see that right there? That, that's actually him. Yeah, he's much bigger now. But um, no Cross, I'm proud of you. I think you're an incredible son, and I love you very much, and you have a, a lot of potential. So I just want to let you know that, uh, that I do love you, and I hope your day is really, really good. Happy birthday, bud. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and continue. Um, this morning, um, what I want us to address this morning is the kind of the topic of God's will. But before we get to delighting in God's will, there's a couple other things I want to go to. You know, over the time the, uh, since I've been here as your pastor, we've addressed God's will quite a few times. We've preached a few different um, series on it. And since we've addressed the topic of God's will, you know, we've come to understand that God's will is not as mysterious as we tend to make it. It's not as difficult to know as we tend to try to make that. And a lot of us struggle with the question with what is God's will for my life? I want you to understand God wants you to know what his will is. And I would say that he wants you to know his will for your life even more so than you want to know his will for your life. It doesn't have to be so difficult for us. Now, in the studies that we, that we went through in the past, this is kind of laying the foundation for the message this morning, but you've heard me say that 95% of God's will is written down in black and white in the Word of God. 95% of God's will for your life can be found in this book. 95% of it, of how to live our lives in um, in, the, uh, in the world in which we live. What we tend to struggle with is we always want to know what the details are specifically for me. What am I going to do right now, this time in history, on this very day? That's what we tend to struggle with. Well, I would, I would encourage you not to stress so much about those details as much as I would say focus on the 95% that you know and that you can discover in God's Word. And I would assume, and I am assuming here, that if you get the 95% right, that the 5% will kind of work itself out. We also learned that, that God's will is not, is not necessarily, primarily, about where you go and what you do. But God's will is about who you are. It's to be more and more like Christ. Because if you're who God wants you to be, then logically you would be in the right places doing the right thing. So we, we want to focus more on who we are in Christ. More importantly, primarily, as opposed to where we go and what we do. Who we are comes first. But 95% of God's will is to be found in black and white in the word, in, the, in God's revealed word to us. But in order to know that, we have to study it. But God's word is sufficient for us to live. If we take a look at just a few scriptures here, the first one is going to be 2 Peter chapter 1 in verse 2 and 3. You can write this down as a reference. It says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given unto us what? All things that pertain to life and godliness, i.e., God's will. He's given us all things that pertain to God's will for you in this life. All things that pertain to life and godliness, but how has He given that to us? Through the knowledge of Him. So, how do we obtain knowledge of Him? Well, we've got to know Him first. We establish a relationship with Him through repentance and faith towards Jesus Christ, and then we gain knowledge through Him by what? Studying his revealed word. 
So we gain knowledge of God, which will lay out the fundamental um, foundation that we need in order to live our lives. Also, we see another scripture here in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, another very familiar verse. But there's a lot of truth here and a lot of, and a lot of faith that we, can, um, that we can gain from this scripture. In 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16 and 17, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and what is this? Instruction in righteousness, i.e. God's will in your life. Instructions in righteousness, how to live, man. So how are you living? So that the man of God may be complete, what? Thoroughly equipped for every good work thoroughly equipped. Is God's Word sufficient for you in ministry? Absolutely it is. It is sufficient. And we find and we gain the knowledge that we need by studying Scripture. You cannot short-circuit the hard study of God's Word. You must get in it. Get in it and then obey it, learn it, so you can determine and you can discern. And then um, we see in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, we did a series on this a, a, good, a good while back. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So after you've gained that knowledge, knowledge alone is, doesn't really do anything, does it? No, but that knowledge has to be applied in your day-to-day life. Therefore, you must make your bodies a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We did speak about how it is your reasonable service to give everything to Christ. Everything about who you are and everything that you do could be sacrificed to God, and it is reasonable because he has given his life for you. So we must sacrifice our bodies in order to be obedient to the calling that God has given us to submit our lives to his will. It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. Now, what is the renewing of your mind? Again, it's going back to Scripture. It's reteaching your mind the truths of God's Word. Renewing your mind requires getting the junk out and then putting the good in. When you renew a car, you can't just take the bad stuff out, right? Your car still will not run. The bad parts are gone, but you still got to put the good parts in it in order to get it to go down the road. Renewing your mind. And by renewing your mind, it brings about a transformation. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or that you may discern what is what? that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So Scripture over and over and over tells us that God's will is revealed through His Word, and we have a responsibility to get into the Word and to study the Word in order to know the Word that we may do what? That we may prove or that we may discern what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you don't know God's Word, you're going to struggle in the area of God's will if you don't know His Word. So that's why it's very important for us. If we're going to live according to what God has uh, called us to do, we must do the hard work of the study in Scripture. Now laying, in that, now laying that foundation, now knowing that, knowing that God has you know, revealed his, his will through the, through the Word of God, God also reveals His plan through the Spirit of God. Now, we can see that whenever we make a commitment to God, according to Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 3, it says, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. You've got to make a commitment to God's work, to God's plan. God, I'm going to do this. You know, you cannot steer an idle ship, so you've got to get in the boat and you've got to start rowing. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. 
In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 and 6, another very familiar verse, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. If we were to be real with one another this morning, if we are feeling like we are confused about where God is directing us, about where we are going and where we stand with God and what we are supposed to be doing in this world, I would have to say that maybe we are lacking time in God's word and lack of commitment to his work. Because God's, God's word tells us that if we commit to his work and if we trust him with all of our heart and lean on his understanding, which requires studying God's word, to, get the, to gain that understanding, that if we acknowledge him, that he will direct us. So if we are struggling in that direction, maybe we need to get closer to the Lord and revert to last week's message and putting the kingdom first in all that we do. But if God has made clear through his calling in Scripture as well as the leadership of the Holy Spirit, now I need to put a disclaimer here. Just because you may have a warm and fuzzy about doing something doesn't mean that God is calling you to. Remember, you will always be able to reconcile the, the Spirit's drawing on your heart it can always reconcile that with the Word of God. The Spirit of God will never, I, I, God will always say this disclaimer, will never lead you contrary to what His Word says. But how will you know what His Word says without getting in it and studying it? So this is very important to know where God leads, leans heavily on your knowledge that you gain in Scripture. Now logically, if God reveals His will to you, it is His will for you to follow it, Right? It's not your job to find it. It's not your job to determine it. But once it's revealed, it's our job to do what? To follow it. And if you know what's God's will, and if you know it's God's leading, then you don't have to sit there and pray it into the dirt. It's time to get out and do it. So a lot of times what happens, we start praying over this thing that God has led, led us to, has given us an opportunity to serve, or given us an opportunity to move, and we pray it into the dirt, and the opportunity passes by, and we say, well, I guess it just wasn't God's will. No, it was God's will. You just drug your feet on it. So when God reveals his will to us through Scripture and through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, it's our job to do it and to do it promptly. That's where seeking the kingdom of God first comes in. It becomes a priority. You must keep the main thing the main thing. Now this morning is not going to be about what God's will is. But it's just to lay it, we went through all this to kind of lay down a foundation. It's not, it's not, for, it's not for us to... Um, to, to discuss this morning how we come to know what God's will is. But it's about delighting in God's will. It's about delighting in it. Now we look at Psalm chapter 40 and verse 8, which will be our, our text this morning. It says, I delight to do your will, O my God. I delight to do your will. And your law is within my heart. And in the context of this psalm here, what we find out is that God, he wasn't, he wasn't wanting just the sacrifices, the burnt offerings, the sin offerings, but what he was wanting and desiring from his people is he was wanting their heart of faith and their heart of obedience towards him. And, 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 the, and the psalmist writes here, in verse 8, I delight in your will. It gives me good pleasure to do what you've called me to do. I find my joy in being obedient to you. The things that you've called me to, that's where I get my joy. So the question I want us to ask ourselves this morning, do we delight in God's will? Is that where we find our joy? Do you get excited about waking up in the morning to seek, the God, seek God's face? Are you full of eager anticipation about what God wants to do for you in his kingdom work? Is that the thing that gets you eager and giddy and, and, and excites you and motivates you to get out of bed every morning? Is it about the kingdom? Do you delight in God's will? Do you find pleasure 
in it? Is this your source of joy? Well, we'll find out. If that is the case, then most of the time, more often than not, what we find is God's people are not following His will. Maybe not most, we'll just say half, or maybe a quarter. I'll let you choose whatever number, but the truth about it is, if we even look at our own lives, we see that there's at least times in our lives where we're not following where God is leading. And why don't we do that? And we find the time to do those things that bring us pleasure. We find the time to do those things that bring us joy. Our favorite hobbies will always have that time. The fun things that, that, that of our lives, that becomes the main thing for whatever reason. But when it comes to delighting in the will of God, I kind of wonder, why isn't it a joyful thing for all of us? Is there some misunderstanding about God's will in our lives and how we live it and what we should expect whenever we step out in faith and follow Christ? But when it comes to delighting in God's will, I believe that we must understand the reality of a few different truths. Now, when I say reality, I mean the reality from God's perspective, from God's understanding, leaning on His understanding and entrusting in Him. What does God say about His will and what we should expect when we follow Him? So I believe we have some misunderstandings about what it is to follow Christ and what we should expect whenever we follow Christ. And therefore, if we have a misunderstanding and it doesn't play out the way that we think that it should, often we withdraw from it and go to those things that bring us the greatest pleasure. All right, truth number one. In order to delight in God's will, we must first understand that God's will does not equal no pain. Okay? God's will does not equal no pain. God's will, following Christ, is not the easiest path to take. Okay? You will get some resistance on this path and on this trail. So the truth that we need to understand is God's will does not equal no pain. And the belief of this, the belief of the lie, that the, that the life of the Christian is without pain and without suffering and without loss, that will steal your delight in his will. I mean, if you really think about it, if you come, come to Christ with the expectation that all of your problems are going to go away just because you become a Christian, and you become a Christian, and you start following the teachings of Scripture, and you find out that it does bring you trials and tribulation and persecution and loss, and you still have suffering. And if your expectations were that all those problems were going to go away, and you are now faced with these problems, your delight is going to be gone because your expectations are wrong. And if you believe that putting on the Lord Jesus Christ will eliminate your pain and suffering in this life, I'm sorry to say, but you've been mistaken. The truth about God's will is that it does, does not equal no pain. And if you've come to a Christianity in hopes that all of your problems will go away, you've signed up for really the wrong reason. Christ did not come to take your problems away. He came to forgive you of your sin and to grant you eternal life when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He has come to, to secure your eternity with him in heaven. He has promised a perfect afterlife not a perfect this life. And whenever we come to Christ with the expectations that everything is going to be sunshine and rainbows in this life, 
and we expect that, then we have our delight begins to diminish because we have the wrong idea of the reality that's supposed to be according to God's perspective. So God's will does not equal no pain. Now, is God's will always painful? Absolutely not. But the misconception that is being preached out there in many, in many different circles is that if you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, all of your problems go away. Your financial problems, your marriage problems, your children's problems, everything goes away. Just put on the Lord Jesus Christ. But what happens is whenever we come to Christ, we start following them. We get exactly what Jesus Christ promised. He said, no servant is greater than his master. If they've persecuted me, they're going to persecute you too. But I'm just going to tell you, we need to be thankful that we live in a country in a time in history where it's still legal to do what we do. It's still legal to do what we do here today. There are people who are meeting this morning all over the world that if they get caught, they will be put to death. So we must take advantage of what we have and the time that we have. The trials and tribulations does not always mean that you're out of God's will. So we need to have an understanding. A lot of times we think, well, all, all these bad things are happening. You know, it must be for, because of some sin that I've, I've committed. Now, they could be, right? You know, some, some of the difficult times that we go through are just consequences of our own sinful behavior. But trials and tribulations do not always mean that you're outside of God's will. We can, we can read all through Scripture that a lot of God's people who were, who, were, uh, who were bold and they followed Jesus and they followed the instructions of God, they found themselves in many different situations that were not beneficial for their lives. If you just read the New Testament, you see how the apostles' lives were very difficult. You look at the life of David. At one time, he was, he was appointed the king over Israel, but King Saul would not step down to give him the throne. And we find David, you know, after many different trials and being, being hunted down and being tried to be killed by King Saul, we find that David is at one point in a cave by himself, encouraging himself in the Lord. But yet he wasn't out of God's will. He was still following Jesus during those times. So when it comes to delighting in God's will, we've got to have the proper perspective of what God's will is. It's not a life that is free of trouble, loss, and suffering. So we have to expose the lie with the truth and have the proper perspectives that God's will does not equal no pain. All right, second truth. Second truth is that pain equals gain. When it comes to a Christian who's following Jesus, that the pain that we go through can be made into something beautiful and good. The pain that we suffer and the trouble that we go through can be brought about. If we really believe what Romans 8.28 truly says, that all things can be worked together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You know, we can suffer some, some, from some evil actions by other people. We can suffer through those things. But God, through it all, can bring about good. God is that good. God is that sovereign to bring about good out of tragedy. He can bring about good. If you think about it, we as believers of Jesus Christ, we have become the beneficiary of the greatest evil, the greatest tragedy of all human history. When the innocent God-man, Jesus Christ, was crucified on the cross, the only innocent man to have ever lived was crucified on a cross. And the greatest tragedy in all of history brings us about the greatest good, which is his resurrection. And the salvation that we can experience through our faith and trust in him so yes, pain can bring about gain. I didn't put no pain, no gain, because there are some times whenever life is going good and things are going good and there's still places for maturity and spiritual growth there. But can we trust God during the times that are difficult? 
to know that he can work out good no matter what the circumstances may bring us in this life. Absolutely. See, this truth, it exposes the lie that nothing good will come out of the pain that I'm going through. That is a lie. If we continue to acknowledge God in all of our ways and allow him to direct our paths and we faithfully step out in that, he can bring us good. He can bring good out of whatever we are going through. And if you believe the lie that nothing good can come out of what you're going through, then you will be robbed of your ability to delight in his will. Pain is gain when it's, when it's experienced within God's will. And in some cases, it can even be joyful to know that we've been persecuted for the cause of Christ. We look at Acts chapter 5 and verse 41. After they were, were beaten and flogged, they were told, do not preach in the name of Jesus ever again. And then they left the, left the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer. They were celebrating in the fact that they were given the opportunity to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. And if we're suffering for the name of Jesus Christ, one, that means that we're being obedient to Christ and that should, in turn, bring us joy, knowing that we are carrying out God's plan in our lives. And also there's victory through suffering. Your victory in suffering can bring about consolation to those who are suffering now. Now, we, none of us like to go through the suffering. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3, what we find here, it says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Whenever you're going through something really, really difficult, how helpful is it to have that brother or sister in Christ who can come alongside you and say, look, I've, I've been there. You can get through to the other side. Everything for me, I can see, I can look back, I can see how God's hand was working in and all through this, and yes, he did ultimately bring about good in it. And sometimes that is good, is, sometimes that good is for you to be used to comfort those who are going through the same things that you have gone through in the past. That is another gain that we can derive from the pain that we do face. And difficult times and trials, they do strengthen you for, another, for the things in the future. If you really think about this, when is your character strengthened the most? Is it whenever you are going through life and everything's just really good? Or is it whenever you are down in the valleys and you have to grind and you come out? Whenever you come out of that, you come out stronger. So even strength is something that we can derive from the pain and the suffering that we suffer in this world. Whenever we're following Christ, we're going to have the ups and downs. We're going to have the tribulations. We're going to have the mountaintop experiences. So we need to expect that. And when we expect that, we don't determine, we don't allow the circumstances of this life to determine our level of joy and delight. We don't want to, we don't want to allow the circumstances to determine how we feel and how we go about our lives. We need to have something more structured, something more solid than the, than the circumstances in this life, which brings us to our final point, our final truth. Truth number three, the best life does not equal this life. Okay? The best life does not equal this life. Well, in other words, the best is yet 
to come. Now, the lie that this exposes exposes is that this life is the only life that you have to live. So therefore, eat, drink, and be merry. Okay, that's, that's a lie straight from the devil. Whenever we find ourselves living for this life and this life alone, then we are focused on this life alone. And when the circumstances of this life um, alone shift either up or down, therefore, that's whenever our delight shifts up or down because that's where we're focused. And we can't allow that to be the determination of what we delight in. And if we live our life as if this is all that there is, and everything that you've worked for in this life one day will be gone, you will be gone, and there's nothing else to live for after that, I can see how you would have very little delight from the Christian perspective. And if you're living your best life now, and it's only for this life, then you will be robbed of your delight in God's will. Why is that? Because God's will brings you to a life that focuses not on this life, but God's will brings you to a life that focuses on eternity, on eternal things. We've been in this topic for the last three weeks. That's why Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Sell everything that you have and give alms and grab yourself money bags that will not be destroyed. Set up treasures for yourself in heaven where the thief does not approach and the moth cannot destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your heart is in this world, you're going to be controlled by the things in this world. If your heart is for the things in this world, you will find that your delight will shift with the circumstances of this world. But if your treasure is in heaven... And as you are seeking the kingdom of God first, storing up treasures in heaven, there your heart will be also. And whenever your heart is on eternal things, that is something that is forever, that's something that is not corruptible, that is something that does not change. And therefore, if your source of joy and delight is in heavenly things, you will always have a reason to be delightful and joyful. And we're seeking God's will and setting treasures up for him and bringing him honor and glory. That is why we can live in this world during the times of trials and tribulations and still delight in his will, regardless of where it leads us. God's will brings us to a point where we will focus on eternity. When we start living our lives as though the best is yet to come, the best is yet to come is eternity. Then our delight will not be robbed from us by the circumstances of today. Listen to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 9 through 13. If anyone had a reason to complain about the earthly circumstances, it was Paul. If anybody had a reason to complain about his life following Christ, it was the Apostle Paul. Now listen to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 9. Through 13. It says, For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to the angels and to the men. We are fools for Christ. For you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst. And we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the, fifth, as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. Now, can you imagine approaching the Apostle Paul with today's philosophy? 
Apostle Paul, man, you need to take some time and focus on you, man. Things aren't going so well for you. You need to take some time off and really focus on you and get, get, get your mind together. Man, you need to start living your best life now. You know, I would, I would imagine how he would respond. He'd probably say, I am living my best life now. I am living my best life now, focusing on Christ and following him. Because I, this is not my home. I'm looking forward to my home. He even expressed it in, in, in the book of, book of Philippians when he says, you know, I, I, I forget those things which are behind that I press toward, I press forward towards the mark. He was focused on the things that were to come. He was focused on the promise of Christ's coming. He was focused on the eternity that he was going to step into whenever he dies or whenever Christ comes back. He was focused. So therefore, you couldn't shake Paul because, the thing, because his object of faith was unshakable. And you weren't able to deter him. And he had an understanding that the best life is not found in this life. It is found in eternity. So the truth about it is, is you can have your cake and eat it too. It just depends on what you call cake and where you think you're going to eat it. So as a Christian, when it comes to delighting in God's will, we must maintain that delight in God's will. And that has to happen when we're focused on heavenly things and not the things of this world. As we, as we prepare for a time of invitation and as our musicians, they, they come forward. As we begin, as we start to rethink all of these things, I want you to ponder on these truths. Have you swallowed a lie that will rob your joy and your delight in God's will? Have you swallowed the lie that there is no pain and suffering in the will of God? Have you swallowed the lie that Nothing good can happen from your suffering. Have you swallowed the lie that the best life to live is the one that's here and now? Those are all lies. I've expressed to you the truth of God's word this morning. You can delight in God's will if you have the proper perspective from God's reality that God's will does not equal pain, but God will always be, through, be there with you through it. And, they, and if you can trust God, he will bring about good regardless of the circumstances that you may be facing right now. And lastly, the best life, the life that we live for, is not here. The life we live for is an eternity with Jesus Christ. Let's stand. Let's have a hymn of invitation. Father, we do thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for your word.